This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And normally this time, sometimes I'll say, and you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Speaking of Facebook, they are our Clark Rageous moment coming up in a few minutes. More information coming out about the depth of information Crooks got. Information about information. That's right. That Crooks got about you in the recent data breach involving Facebook. I'm going to fill you in on what you need to do, what you need to, what precautions you need to take, and just the knowledge of what kind of data the crooks got a hold of to cause mischief. And coming up later, there's a lot of conversation about what happens in the aftermath of a big storm, tornado, hurricane, what happens to the structures. And I want to talk about something that I believe we need to think about if we do decide to build our own house and something we need to think about as a a society to deal with what happens with the storm, what things we can do to limit the damage. I want to talk right now about a market share war that is emerging in banking as the traditional banking players are facing a massive threat from the new waves of banks that offer much better deals on pretty much every facet and phase of banking. And now one of the big European banks is going to offer online-only retail banking in the United States. Barclays Bank is coming in, and they're starting with reaching towards the people who already do business with them in other facets of banking, like credit cards. Barclays has uh, more than 10 million customers in the United States already, but not for traditional banking kind of products. And we've got people who've been around for a while doing it, like Ally Bank and American Express raises money for its credit card portfolios with online savings accounts. And these rates on the online savings accounts have been marching steadily upward as the Federal Reserve raises the interest rates. It controls best in the country now around two and a quarter, but the rates are all gravitating towards 2% overall from the online banks where traditional banks are still paying virtually 0.0% on savings and are really not in the business of paying you for leaving money with them. And that's because the traditional banks are stuck with the legacy 
of having a zillion branches that almost nobody uses anymore. Those branch networks are intensely expensive to operate, very complicated to operate, and in an era where we do so much with our smartphones, we do so much online, there's almost never a need to walk in a physical office. So the clean sheet operations that are offering you banking don't have to figure out how to fee you to death, don't have to come up with every gotcha possible on a checking account, and don't have to rip you off on the money you put in savings. And so all the growth in banking going forward is going to be with the online banks. Everybody with physical branches is just going to be playing defense. Ally Bank, which is one of the largest of the online banks, is offering a deal right now to try to attract people who've got big money in traditional banks. They're offering up to a $1,000 bonus just as a straight ratio just for moving your savings across. Ally regularly pays right now 1.9% on savings, I think it is. And um, then on top of the 1.9, they're paying basically a 1% finder's fee for moving money over up to 1000 bucks. So you just are having money rain out of the sky on you if you'll dump particularly the giant monster mega banks that are sitting on half of the nation's uh, banking deposits, there's no reason you should have your money with one of the giant monster mega banks because your job is not to make their stockholders rich. Your job by making you poor, your job is to make your money that you've worked so hard to save to have it work for you. Ben is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ben. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Ben. You got a, a philosophical question for me. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so I've been listening to you for probably five, six years now, um, pretty soon out of college, and really have loved everything I've learned. Um, in the last year, though, I've, I've learned about a, a thing called financial independence, which I think uh, a subset of people who listen to you, I think, would fit into that that mold. And um, recently, a, a different kind of financial spokesperson um, really came down hard <laughs> on people who um, believe in that, or I guess not really believe, but choose to Susie follow that Orman. Kind of philosophy. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. it was. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to reach out to Clark and, and get a feel for what he thinks um about the concepts and principles behind it well i've called it it's not just a term that originated with me uh before the concept of the fire movement came along uh, i called it max savers and Mm -hmm. that's and again that term didn't originate with me the idea that if you can live on half of what you make and coming right out of school if you learn to live on every other check It changes the entire trajectory of your life, and generally by your early 40s, if you live on half of what you make, you will have saved enough money and lived a lifestyle that will make it possible for you at that point to be completely independent financially, and if you don't want to work again, you likely won't have to, 
but really it's more about you being totally in charge of the choices you make in your life. You know, somebody who works hard enough and sacrifices hard enough to be able to um, live on half of what they make isn't doing it so that they never have to work again. It's usually so that they have the choice to do what they want to do the rest of their lives. So, Ben, have you been living on a fraction of what you make since you started listening or since you got out of school, or what's your track record have been? Yeah, I'd say since I've been out of school, probably early on about a 40% savings rate, and right now I'm probably more up to like 60 to 70. Wow. So I would put myself definitely in the max savers category. And and like you said, for me, it's not so much of, hey, I want to never work again in my life. I mean, I want the option to potentially do that, but really I see it more as a, a road to freedom and ability to do whatever you choose exactly exactly once you get there and uh you know the people who and i don't want to get into a tit for tat with Susie orman but the people she's not the only one who really has has been um not supportive of what's now coined as the fire movement which is financial independence retire early and it's a Mm -hmm. it's a cute phrase you know a cute idea uh, but it's a real idea with real stuff behind it, whatever you call it, whether you call it Max Saver, whether you call it FIRE, uh, whether you just talk about the financial independence side of FIRE, that the idea is that instead of feeling a prisoner to your bills and wherever you work, you're in charge and you make the choices you choose to make. And so you, by saving now 60 to 70% of what you make, you are in a position to be able to make the choices you're going to make in your life. And as you pile up more and more money, it gives you increasing amounts of freedom to make the decisions you want to make. So I'm totally supportive of you. Uh, Are you doing anything, though, that others would look at and say, man, Ben's having no fun in life because he won't even <laughs> fill in the blank. Uh, no, honestly, I feel like I live a, a great life as it is. Over the years, we've, with my wife, I've been to Hawaii probably four or five times, and um, and we've been married nine years. So um, we travel quite a bit, and we I, I definitely don't think we deprive ourselves, although we definitely could spend more money. We could you know, buy the fancier house or cars, but choose not to do that. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned the two areas that end up eating up people's budgets more than any other, and that's housing and cars. That those two things are what become uh, brutal expenses. And there Mm -hmm. used to be a philosophy in the U.S. that you wanted to reach on a house. And buy the biggest, fanciest house you could qualify for. And I think now there's more of an understanding that that's not where it's at because that monthly payment, the overhead of it, the property taxes become an albatross instead of a benefit over time. So keep doing what you're doing. Feel good okay. about it. Can I ask you? A, can I ask you a related question? Of course. Okay. So uh, part of this idea is to be able to reduce your monthly uh, expenses 
And right now I have a 15 year on my, my home mortgage and I already, you know, max out my 401k and my wife's IRA, my IRA, things of that nature. So we, we don't have more to go there. And I know you, you typically discourage people from ever paying down their mortgage, but um, at some point for me to, to really hit this um, level where I don't have to work anymore, um, it would be awesome to have that mortgage gone. So at what point in your philosophy would you say, yeah, paying down extra on your mortgage would get rid of that obligation is an okay thing to do. Now you're talking to somebody who's mortgage debt free and despises mortgages and I carry no (laughs) debt at all. And, you know, if you looked at it strictly from priorities, there would be people, particularly in financial planning, who would say, no, you should actually put more money in investment accounts. But let's talk about the practicality of having a roof over your head that you don't have a monthly mortgage for. The value of that, particularly as you hit that threshold where you've saved enough money that you would not have to work again unless you wanted to, if you want to, now that you've maxed out every form of savings that the tax code's favorable to, if you want to just concentrate on zeroing out that mortgage, go ahead. All right. Sounds great and be completely 100% debt-free, which makes everything you've put before now even easier to make work for you. So uh, I know there are those listening to you and me, Ben, that are like, these two men are crazy. I mean, I'm having trouble just paying my bills every month, and they're talking about saving 50, 60, 70% of their pay And it's got to be something you do from the ground up in the decisions you make over time. And there are people who make so little money that this is not a realistic conversation. But if you're making a moderate salary to above, you can, in many cases, make financial independence part of your life. In today's Clark Rageous Moment, I have an update for you on the Facebook data breach And what you need to know, the Facebook data breach numbers have been all over the place. The latest release from Facebook reduced, now this is the reduced number of people whose information has been compromised in different ways on Facebook, is now down to 30 million. That's progress, because the last estimate was 50 million. But that tells you how difficult the forensic research is following a data breach as companies scramble and uh, data researchers, security experts try to drill down into who's affected and how they're affected. The other part of this is not the good news. The good news was the 50 to 30. The really bad news is what the crooks got is much more thorough than estimated before it's considered to be the worst breach ever of the facebook social media platform and the crooks have a lot of stuff like they uh, might have your contact information like your phone numbers as they have for uh, many millions of people somewhere 15 20 million They have information on your email address, potentially, what computers, phones, whatever you're reaching Facebook from. 
uh, your gender, what religion you're in, which people can figure out a number of different ways. Um, they know what things you've been searching on on Facebook, the last physical locations you've been at, detailed profile information. They did not get your password, at least at this time. There's no information that they have your password or credit card information. But one area where I do urge real caution with Facebook is that you do, in fact, change with Facebook where you no longer use Facebook as a way to sign in to other accounts. You know how often you'll sign up with somebody and one of the options they'll offer you is to use Facebook as your sign-in? Putting too many eggs in one basket there, and I don't want you doing that anymore. And when you do get involved with social media, know that the information there creates vulnerabilities that go much deeper than you might have imagined, including potentially rating your money, if you have it, in whatever brokerage accounts, investment accounts, or bank accounts you have. Be careful. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. And if you want off-air advice, that's something we make available to you over 40 hours each week. It's free. It has been a service of the Clark Howard Show now in its 26th year of giving free off-the-air advice. If you go to Clark.com, scroll down a little, you'll see the hours available and number for getting guidance from a member of Team Clark. Have you seen that stark picture that has made the rounds on um, social media, on the internet, of one of the houses in the panhandle of Florida that got hit so badly by the hurricane recently that there were there were there was like nothing left at all at this beach community in Mexico Beach, Florida. And one house was sitting there almost completely intact. And it's so stark. Well, I want to tell you that we have the ability to build tougher homes. And the shocking thing is in beach areas... The real cost is not in the structure put on a property, it's the land that the property sits on, that the structure sits on. And the cost of construction doesn't have to be a huge amount higher. I'm going to go way back in history to 1992, I guess it was, when South Florida got hit very hard by Hurricane Andrew. I'm testing my memory from way back, but what I want to talk about is something that shows how important our thought process about how we build is to how a house survives a storm of various types, whether it's a tornado, a hurricane, uh, earthquake standards. There are so many different situations where how you choose to build makes all the difference and doesn't necessarily have to cost a lot more because in Andrew, 
there was an area where the entire neighborhood was flattened, just like the pictures that you may have seen from Mexico Beach. And there were some homes that were sitting there looking absolutely fine. And those homes happened to be habitat homes that were built with volunteer labor, built way beyond what was the building code at the time, and employed technologies that cost virtually nothing, like a little thing, it's not even a technology, it's a little thing called a hurricane clip that a lot of habitat affiliates around the country in areas subject to tornadoes uh, build with hurricane clips, which help support and reinforce the structure of a home and add to the cost of a home somewhere around $120 and make a home much more robust. In the case in Florida, we, we live part-time in a beach community in Florida, and our next-door neighbor, as well as about, oh, about a dozen homes in our area, are built using a new construction method where the homes are built like, and I think this is the one in Mexico Beach was the same kind of idea, built with concrete and no sheetrock in it. And the homes are built to withstand a Cat 5 Hurricane Plus. And the windows may not survive, they may blow out, but the home itself is 100% structurally sound, and all that has to be done is it's hosed out. There's no issue with mold. And so the reason I bring this up is we in America face an increasing problem with flooding from population growth, um, increased rainfall, at least we're in a cycle of that in much of the United States. And there are so many techniques that can be used that will make homes and people in them safer, make the structures more solid. I went and toured a neighborhood in Holland that is uh, an area subject to flooding. A lot of Holland is below sea level. And they now have these homes for flood-prone areas that I went to see that the homes rise with rising water. And the cost of constructing them no higher than normal construction. It's just rethinking how you build for circumstance. We in the United States tend after a flood or disaster to rebuild exactly as we did before. And a lot of these things, if we think about how do we prepare for the unexpected, a lot of these things don't cost, in many cases, any more money or just little amounts, little incremental amounts to make a structure much more robust, make it safer, and eliminate the thing of wash, rinse, and repeat where a property gets destroyed and then you have to rebuild and then another uh, act of nature happens, you have to rebuild again, on and on. There's no need for us to be fatalistic about this. This is an area we just need to be practical. Rolf is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Rolf. Hello, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We uh, recently moved back from living uh, overseas for many years and 
We appreciate all the things that you have to say to make our uh, reintegration much easier here because so many things have changed and we're very grateful for all your advice you've given us. So thanks for that. Well, give a little backstory. Where have you been living and for how long? Uh, first, we lived in the UK for about five years, then in Switzerland for seven, and then in Hong Kong for two years. My goodness. And do you have kids that speak like 12 languages now? No kids. Oh. <laughs> How about you? How many <laughs> languages do you speak at this point? Well, three fluently and two a little bit. So, Fantastic. And uh, I speak English and enough Spanish to be able to find the bathroom. Well, see, that's all you need. You just need to be able to order food and drink and wine, and then you're good to go. <laughs> well, um, one thing I'm curious about, after all those years away, did you have a hard time reestablishing a credit score, getting um, auto insurance, anything like that? Were any of those areas difficult for you when you reintegrated no. back in the U.S.? No, because we, we had an address here, thanks to very good friends of ours, and we also had a, a home outside Atlanta on a lake that we kept. So we never, from that point of view, we didn't leave. Well, that's great because, you know, the financial reintegration can be really difficult for people yes. who are gone for a number of years. Well, how can I yes. be of service to you today? Well, the last uh, thing that we wanted to do is we purchased a Chromebook uh, to do our banking and financial, as you have advised. And I did some research on your website on that as well, but I'm not quite sure whether I need to set up a new Gmail account or whether I can use or should use an existing one to get that going. Wonderful question. And when you're starting from scratch using a segregated computer, using a Chromebook for financial, it is recommended that you set up a separate Gmail account that would okay. not integrate because, you know, with Gmail with the google accounts when you sign into a computer it just kind of automatically populates everything from a prior one and so having that separate gmail is the best idea you can do to protect right. yourself and protect what you do elsewhere how much was the chromebook you bought just for financial uh, I don't know. My wife bought it for me for my anniversary, so oh. I don't know. <laughs> well, happy anniversary. I'm sure she spent very little money. I'm sure she did because she listens to you too, of course. <laughs> Perfect. So with the Chromebook, the whole idea of a Chromebook that Rolf and I are talking about is they are ultra inexpensive right now, routinely available at 100 bucks for new ones, not recons or anything like that. And they are not prone to the same problems with viruses that can happen to a Windows computer or a Mac. And so using a Chromebook for financial only, no web surfing, no email, nothing, no social media, just bill pay, banking, brokerage, those kind of things, creates an additional protection for you from people who would try to mess up your life by creating financial chaos, emptying your accounts or whatever. And so Chromebooks are the safest way I know to do that stuff. And having a separate one just for financial is something I very much want small businesses to do to protect themselves. Because where we as consumers 
have a lot of protections under the law if we get hit by a hacker, businesses generally don't have those same legal protections, which is why also in addition for businesses, I recommend that you get um, insurance to protect you from data breaches, from hackers, and having this kind of coverage is something very few small businesses have. But if you got wiped out at your small business because of a hacker, what would happen next? That's why having the insurance is so key. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. Hello, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, Chris. You got a, a modern puzzle for me. Oh, yes. Well, I'm, glad, well, I'm not glad to hear that, actually. I uh, applied for life insurance, and they set up a medical exam. And, of course, I asked, what, what does the medical exam entail? And, of course, they take your height, weight, blood pressure. And, and then they said they take a, a blood sample. And I'm, I'm kind of like, well, how do I know that that blood sample is not going to be used for genetic testing? And I actually called uh, I called your team, and uh, your team's fantastic, by the way. Oh, thank you. And Howard at your team, not Clark Howard at your team, but Howard said to call the state uh, insurance. And I said, that's a great idea. So I gave them a call, and after a, a few departments uh, later, I finally spoke with somebody, and, and the lady said that uh, she could almost guarantee that that wouldn't happen. Well, there's nothing in the law that prohibits it at this time. So there was a law passed a decade ago that prohibited your DNA from being used, genetic testing, from being able to be used for health insurance. But since then, as more and more information has become available through genetic testing and how easy it is for people to do it, the law has never been updated to cover life insurance, long-term care, disability insurance, and so this is an area that the feds need to be all over in the Congress and not permit genetic discrimination. So I don't know, I don't know anybody doing it yet, just like you were told by the person at the state insurance department. Emphasis on yet. And that's what I was afraid of because of, and I had actually called the lab. And the lab specifically said it wasn't noted for a, for a genetic test. For And I wouldn't think the lab, if they didn't have instructions to do that, I wouldn't think they would do it back. No, they would not do that. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a question. So many of us, like me, have done 23andMe and done Ancestry.com, and there's so much information out there, and there are crimes being solved where people who haven't even participated in genetic testing are being found by other people's results who've done genetic testing. So this is a bit of a Pandora's box, and the law is behind on it. And so far, so far, don't worry that anybody is doing that diabolically in the insurance industry. So so basically you're recommending getting my insurance ASAP just in case I get genetic testing down the road and they find something. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. All right. And see, I, I'm in bad shape anyway because I've already disclosed that my genetic testing found that I have an increased risk of Alzheimer's. So if I was a company selling long-term care, my own words could be used against me 
And, well, it's my job to share with you what's going on in my life. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hi, Clark. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, John. You're looking to save some money, and you got a question to ask me about that. Yeah, I've got, uh, currently I have T-Mobile, and I was looking around for a cheaper solution, and I found Mint Mobile, which is seems like the cheapest that's out there. It seems like it's a third of the price if you're comparing apples to apples on um, on the plans. Now, Mint must um, be doing and, some serious advertising now because I've heard questions from multiple people about Mint Mobile lately. Is that how you found them in some kind of ad? or I, you just? I found, no, I found them, I don't know, maybe it was an, an ad, like a Google AdSense or something, because I was clicking like, you know, aggregators, like the top, like lists or something, the top, five cheapest postpaid because i knew to look for postpaid yeah and we have cheapest a um, mint is mint is on our comparison shopping guide we have at clark.com the one thing with mint is they have intro deals but then the prices go up from there so, oh so, so it might just be like a year or so or whatever period you choose like three months or whatever exactly so i've heard no complaints about them at all and you get the best deal if you buy annual plans so you're putting money out hoping that they stay around how much data do you use a month are you guessing you're going to need probably about a lot i I currently have unlimited because t-mobile so it's like uh i i I, you know i started not even look at that anymore so but i would guess it's five to eight nowadays okay so with them you're talking uh, probably twenty twenty five a month. Yeah, and you know, right now T-Mobile's like 50 or 60, something like that. Yeah, so if you went on the 10 gig plan and you buy a year in advance, you'd pay them 300 bucks up front and then you got to hope they stay in business because your risk is whatever yeah. months you wouldn't get from them. And, and, that was, uh, and that was only said tongue in cheek, but just so you know that there's that risk because I never... Uh, these companies never seem to fade into oblivion. They just merge with somebody else. But twenty-five oh, a month—it's so not, not like your your number would just like get ported to oblivion if that happens. <laughs> I doubt that. I doubt that. Although who knows? But look through our guide and see if Mint seems to be the best choice for you, because uh, laying the money out up front is a little. Uh, uncomfortable, but being able to buy that at effectively twenty-five a month all in is a great deal. And 
uh, the cell phone service, if you go third-tier company, gets so much cheaper. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.